live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside my good friend Hercules Gomez. I am Sebastian Salazar. Coming up uh, in this edition of Football Americas, we'll be recapping World Cup qualifying wins for the United States, Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica. We've also got an interview with Richie Larea of the Canadian men's national team, now Nottingham Forest of the championship in England. Plus, Mauricio Pedrosa stops by an exclusive one-on-one with Vincent Janssen of Rayados uh, as they prepare for the FIFA Club World Cup. But Herc, let's start in Minnesota, where it was mm. five degrees Fahrenheit at kickoff last night between the United States and Honduras. The United States ends up winning three nothing goals from Weston McKinney, Walker Zimmerman, and Christian Pulisic. Uh, why don't we start with this? How would you grade the United States' performance in the freezing cold? I'll give him an A. Now, hear me out when I say why I'd give him an A. This is, they dominated, but they were supposed to dominate. There's that word. There's that word. Yeah, but you're playing against (laughs) the worst team in all of CONCACAF qualifying, a team that mathematically is already eliminated, a team that has nothing to play for, a team that their own coach said, hey, we just want to get in, get out. We don't even know why we're here. Let's just get it over with. You can only play who's in front of you. You can only play who's in front of you. Fair enough. We spoke about the slow start. That's been hampering the U.S. men's national team all World Cup qualifying. Well, you get a quick goal. Set pieces. Last time you scored off a set piece, what was it? The Gold Cup final? You get a goal off a set piece. No, not one. Three come off set piece. Indirectly or directly off set pieces. Uh, We talked about players needing to step up if Christian Pulisic wasn't going to play. Guess who stepped up? Weston McKinney. Hmm. Uh, What other players can you find in this qualifying window that can help you? If you don't have a Yunus Musa, guess who stepped up? Luca De La Torre. You have all these different things going on that you fulfill. And you knew you were going to dominate and have the lion's share of possession, and you did well with it. You may not have scored in an open play, but you created opportunities. You put on somewhat of a show in these uh, ridiculous uh, climatic situations or environment. That said, that said, A, but this is what you were supposed to get. You were supposed to get an A in this project. So I'm not going to be quite as generous, Herc. I'm going to give an A minus, and for me it's because there's two things, there's two things missing. We talked so much after that Canada game about physicality, uh-huh. you know, about, about how this U.S. team would respond to physicality. Okay. And in this game, I think Honduras beat him up a little bit. I think we saw it with Ricardo Pepe, bloodied his nose, literally yeah. broke his nose. And even with Christian Pulisic, the first touch he gets on the ball, whack, down he goes. It's clear that Honduras is taking the page from everybody else. Yeah. In CONCACAF, and it says, hey, if you want to rough up this U.S. team, you can do it and you can have success. So maybe that's a little bit of worry. The other worry, the other reason I can't give a perfect grade, I can't give an A, is Ricardo Pepe didn't score. Mm. Your number nine didn't score. You needed to check that box. You needed to check that box, especially when you're playing the last place team at home. And so Ricardo Pepe not scoring to me is a big deal last night. It is a big deal because of how you treated the nine position this window. You put in the very first game in Columbus against El Salvador, a player who doesn't even play the position to start off with, who isn't in form because they're not in season. A player who played 20 minutes for you, all work for qualifying, comes out of nowhere and plays a different position over Ricardo Pepe, who just made a $20 million move to the Bundesliga. And in the second game, in Canada, where maybe you need another striker who could be a little bit better combining, a little bit better bringing players in. You play Giassi Sardes when there's no space for him to take advantage. You leave Ricardo Pepe out. And what that does for a 19-year-old player still trying to find out who he is as a player, forget about a person because he doesn't know who he is as a person. He's still trying to figure out himself as a player. That could mentally, that could mentally be deflating how he handles it. But I actually like certain things I saw about Ricardo Pepe. He was desperate for his goals. I mean, you saw the look in his face when he didn't get the ball in the position he wanted. You saw how hungry he was. Yes, the touches weren't probably the cleanest, a bit more combative than, than usual, but I don't mind seeing Ricardo Pepe fight for his. Would have loved to see him get on the score sheet because that confidence for him is sorely needed. Herc, in the lead-up to this game, Greg Berhalter had to make some pretty big decisions. So let's go through these big decisions kind of one by one and see if he truly got them right. Let's start with the lineup uh, from last night's game against Honduras, which featured seven, Herc, seven changes uh, from the team that we saw against Canada. The big one is Christian Pulisic on the bench. So let's start with that decision right there. Did Greg Berhalter get it right sitting Captain America in what you called was a must-win game. 
Yeah, it was a must-win game. I also said he should sit Christian Pulisic, as you recall, last episode. Did he get it right? Well, they got the three points. Uh, hindsight is 20-20, right? Uh, and Christian Pulisic comes off the bench and scores a goal. Will do wonders for his confidence. I actually think Greg Berhalter got this right. Greg Berhalter may have lit a fire under Christian Pulisic. Mm. Christian Pulisic has not looked happy. Christian Pulisic has not looked good for the U.S. Men's National Team in World Cup qualifying. If you take away the Mexico goal, if you take away that goal in Cincinnati, Ohio, Christian Pulisic was zero goals, zero assists in World Cup qualifying. He wasn't very good for you. He may be the face of U.S. soccer, but he wasn't productive for you. That Mexico moment, like mm. Christian Pulisic tends to do, he tends to have big moments against Mexico, was a moment, a singular moment. But he's not been great. He's not really helped your team. So I don't mind this. If it lit a fire under him, great. And I actually didn't like him coming on. With his injury history, with that track record, I don't mm -hmm. know if I would have thrown him up already 2-0 with 25 minutes left and, and thrown caution to the wind to just, hey, maybe he'll get a goal. And he could have scored a hat trick. But the risk-reward of him coming out limping with an injury, with that injury history, is not worth it for me. That said... It panned out for him. Christian Pulisic scores his goal. You can see the weight being lifted off those shoulders. And maybe this can translate to Chelsea. Maybe this will give him a bit of freedom and enjoyment that sorely has been missing from his game. Hmm. I don't think it was the right decision, Herc, because I don't think it's ever the right decision to leave your best player out of a must-win game. He didn't leave Weston McKinney out. Okay. Your second best player okay. out of a must-win game. That's just never the correct logic to me. And the other thing that really doesn't add up here is, okay, you're going to sit Christian Pulisic for Brendan Aronson, right? Okay. No. The, the, the end product of this discussion is Jordan Morris starting. So it cannot be a right decision if you're telling me that Jordan Morris started ahead of Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson. Yeah. And this is not to pick on Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris did not play at all last year. You cannot tell me that Jordan Morris is a better player than Christian Pulisic or Brendan Aronson. I don't understand it. Herc, help me understand yeah, this. Yeah, nobody's saying he's a better player. Nobody's saying he's even the same player. Uh, here's the thing, and I'm with you. It is a head scratcher. Uh, Jordan Morris in 2019 was up for U.S. Men's National Team Male Player of the Year. He had a very good year. Goals and assists, a very good year for the national team. But he's coming off his second ACL tear and hasn't played regularly. So for Greg Verhalter to harp on form, mm. and form is something that I will use with one player when talking about John Brooks, but I won't use for another player. Jordan Morris may be a vital player for you for that verticality that you want, et cetera, et cetera. But he's not been informed. He's not have, had a run of games under his belt. He can be a very useful player for you, but that starts at the club level. You prove your worth at the club level, and he's still coming back from injury. So whatever you saw in that January cupcake camp from any player, throw out the window. It's very different in competitive matches. To no fault of Jordan Morris, but you're right. This was a head-scratcher. So there were some big decisions pregame. Now there's some big decisions coming up, specifically, Herc, when it comes to set pieces. Because with Christian Pulisic, on the bench, yeah. we saw Kellen Acosta take the set pieces. And then what else did we see last night? We also saw, as you mentioned, three goals from set pieces. So I'm gonna put you in charge of the US men's national team. You're the manager today. Who's taking your set pieces? Christian Pulisic. What? Did yeah. you not watch a game last night? I did, can I ask you a question? Go ahead. Everybody's healthy. Are you gonna sit Tyler Adams for Kellen Acosta? <laughs> Just for those set pieces, baby. He was pretty good last night. <laughs> let me give, hold on. Let me give he Kellen Acosta very, a yeah, lot of credit. Yeah, he yeah. was very good last night. And Kellen Acosta is a guy that gets a bad rap because he's got, in the eyes of many fans, the stench of Major League Soccer. Mm -hmm. They also remember those European friendlies where Greg Berhalter threw him into the lion's den. He wasn't fit. All the European players, excuse me, were fit. He wasn't. He was on this MLS vacation, comes into these games, and he doesn't perform well. But he's a very good player. And he's also the only true six behind Tyler Adams. And Tyler Adams, to me, is the heartbeat of this team, but he needs to be healthy. So if he's not healthy, yes, Kellen Acosta is in there, and he can be in those free kicks. Because look, we're looking right now. This is against Mexico in the Gold Cup final. Another assist on the dime. That's Robinson, his goal. So why you want to take the set pieces away from him then? Why you want to give him back to Pulisic? He's not on the field. But let me tell you about Christian Pulisic. 
So the last set pieces before this, the last goals before this, okay? Mm -hmm. Guess who took them? Christian Pulisic in the Nations League final versus Mexico, where he was very good on set pieces, very good finding Wes McKinney, and also Giovanni Reina. Both of them mm -hmm. were very good in set pieces. I think Giovanni Reina ultimately is the set, set piece guy for this. If there's a free kick, Going towards goal, I think it's Giovanni Reina. Corner kick, I'd feel comfortable with either Christian or Giovanni Reina. I just think right now Christian's its run of form is confidence. And I think as his confidence comes, so will that ability on a set piece. But Kellen Acosta does very well. But Kellen Acosta is not going to be a guarantee for you on the field if Tyler Adams is available. Okay, so that question we can probably leave till the next window. Let's finish up this discussion with a question that pertains very much, Herc, to this window. And it's down to the selection of the yeah. venue for this USA Honduras match. You know by now it was in St. Paul, Minnesota. Five degrees Fahrenheit at kickoff, and it only got colder. Huh? The wind chilled at the end of this match are reported minus 17. So the coldest game in US men's national team history. Two Honduran players, Luis Buba Lopez, uh, the goalie, and Romel Kyoto were subbed off at half and had to be treated hurt for hypothermia. Very scary stuff right there. Uh, let's hear from each of the managers on how their teams handle the conditions. Sí, la verdad que sí es difícil, muy complicado. Eh, fútbol es no para sufrirlo, ¿no? Tengo el camerino, eh, todos los muchachos están con muy malestar y jugadores con suero. Entonces yo no puedo hacer análisis de los muchachos en, en este tipo de partidos, en este tipo de, de clima, de ambiente para partir. You, you know, when we go down to those countries and it's 90 degrees and 90% dew point and it's unbearable humidity and guys are getting dehydrated and cramping up and getting heat exhaustion, you know, that's that's the nature of our competition. When we schedule this game in, in this location, you know, you, ha you have to go by average temperatures, uh, daily average temperatures. And it, it, it was the best guess. We wanted to minimize travel. We, we knew we were going to be playing in cold weather in two of the games. And we figured um, to do it in the third game as well instead of switching climates. Uh, you know, be, the, a cold spell came through, and it's something we can't control. But but all we can do once that happens is is try to mitigate the um, the risk by having warm weather gear and and, um, and going out there and competing. Well, Herc, no doubt about it. The U.S. wanted the cold to have an impact on Honduras. It did clearly have an impact on the Honduran players. Therefore, is Greg Berhalter vindicated in his decision? to put this game in St. Paul, Minnesota on Groundhog's Day. No, let me start off by him saying other countries mm -hmm. do this, okay? El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Jamaica. These countries can't control the weather in their own country, okay? They, they don't have that ability. They don't have the options that they we have They don't have the yes. options you have in the U.S. Let's start there. Now, oh, thanks for giving them gloves, Greg. Thank you for that. <laughs> let me, first off, if I'm a player on the U.S. men's national team, and our coach, who has a huge say on where this game gets mm -hmm. played, wants to play it in the coldest ever environment because he thinks it'll give you an edge. He thinks it'll put the, the ball on your table. It'll put you in a favorable term going into this game. What he's telling me is, I know you play in some of the best teams in the world. Barcelona, mm. Chelsea, Dortmund, Leipzig, City, some of the best leagues in the world, the Premier League, you know, La Liga Valencia, all this. I don't care. I don't trust you to go out and beat the worst team in the octagonal. A team that is so bad, they had 19 goals scored on them in these 10 games leading up to it. A team that didn't even want to be there. And also, that's one. Two, I don't trust you guys to play against the opponent's fans. I am mm. so worried about the fans. I want to put this game so far away from opposing fans so you don't get rattled. I want to do everything to shun these fans, many of whom are Americans, instead of trying to embrace and reach these communities and have them be fans of the U.S. men's national team. I'd rather shun them away. This is why I put this game, and I will say it's because of travel. Hey, look at Honduras. They traveled 10 hours plus. Look at how cold they were. Hypothermia for two of their players. Guess what? One of your players almost got frostbite as well. It's unsafe. And it also goes against U.S. soccer's own guidelines. Mm. If it's below zero Fahrenheit, U.S. soccer recommends you move it indoors or you reschedule or cancel it. It goes against their own guidelines. I'm not really surprised to see Burhalter Herc defend the decision because as we know now, it is pretty much his decision, right? He had the most say 
at the table. And it's a decision that left not just the Honduran players, not the U.S. players, not the fans. It left everybody unsafe. And it crosses the line from trying to make your opponent uncomfortable when you make your opponent unsafe. That's no longer gamesmanship, right? Now you've yeah. crossed into, into a darker space. And I actually think there may be some consequences to this. Because if I'm CONCACAF, I cannot allow this to become an arms race where each federation says, you know what? We're going to play the game in the least safe part of our country possible just to make the other team uncomfortable. Because that's going to end in a very, very bad place for, you know who, Herc? The people that matter the most in all this, and that's the players. We're not taking player safety into consideration with this at all. The last thing with, and and I'll leave you with this, and I'm stealing it. I was watching a game last night with my dad, who's, you know, my mom's a Mexico fan, my dad's a U.S. fan, and he used the word embarrassed, that the U.S. would have to stoop to such levels to pull this off against Honduras, but really against anybody. Yeah. And I wonder if there were any U.S. fans, maybe U.S. players like yourself, that felt that equal shame over what was happening. Yeah, um, especially with this generation, how we tout this generation on paper, the greatest U.S. men's national generation, how deep and talented they are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I called them soft last week. When you have to resort to these things, and trust me, my generation resorted to some of these things because we didn't have the talent of this generation. You know, when, when you see a team in Comnable or a team in Europe or, or you see promotion relegation, the fights, when you play against better teams, you try to level the playing field mm-hmm. somehow. That's what these teams do. You don't need to do that, U.S. soccer. You don't need to do that. You, you are these good teams. You are one of these talented teams. The Teams that don't have the resources or the mm-hmm. players or the talent like you do, they do these type of things. And really quickly, shout out to Jonathan Tannenwall and the Philadelphia Inquirer for that quote. Yeah, hey, you, um, you mentioned the word soft last show. Does winning in these conditions in any way prove that you're not soft? <laughs> no. It seems pretty tough. It, it, it's, it's tough. It's also what you have to do. Win or lose, you got to go out and you got to try to perform in these conditions. When I say soft, I mean mentality. I, I mean seeing Christian Pulisic get kicked to the ground the first five seconds of the game, and I want to see somebody go up to the ref, to the player that kicked them. You send a message. It, it seems to me like the majority of CONCACAF is tired of hearing how good this U.S. men's national team is, mm. where these players play. Every time they play them, they want to send a message. You're nothing. No, no, you prove it here. All right, uh, let's turn our attention to something slightly more lighthearted, or at least what I thought was more lighthearted. Are you cool with it? Or from last night, uh, are you frozen with it? Greg Berhalter caught on camera taking a picture with fans during the game. Herc, it happened during an injury stoppage with the U.S. up 3-0. Are you cool with it? No, no, it's Bush League. I'm not cool with it. It's disrespectful to the opponent. Bush League? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Come on. What overreaction. Is it? Why? Are Why? You cool What's with so it? Bush League about a- answer, it? Answer yes or no. Are you cool with it? And I'm, then I'll fine with it. You're I'm fine, fine with, with it. I'm fine with it. It endears him to the fans. It endears him to his players. Who's got a problem with this? The opponents have a problem with it. This is oh, like, yeah. This is <laughs> you like, think there's anything in the world that would have motivated Honduras last night? Please. Well, I, t- I tell you what. If I see this, if I'm Honduras... The next time I play against these guys, I'm two-footing somebody. Really? This is disrespectful. It's, yes. it's that offensive to you it's as a player? It's that offensive. It's very Bush League. You can wait seven minutes. You can mm-hmm. tell a fan, hey, seven minutes, I got you. I know the explanation that they were waiting around, that the fan, he felt bad for the fans staying in the cold. Guess whose fault that is? Guess <laughs> whose fault that is? It's yours. Okay. U.S. soccer. You and U.S. soccer put in the game there. Wait seven minutes. Have some respect. For everybody, and especially mm-hmm. the opponents. And guess what? You know what was equally as bad? Was U.S. soccer doubling down and trying to celebrate it on their social accounts. Mm. That's even worse for me. But this is just, ah, oh, like, I, Greg Rehalter may not, like, honestly, I think he's a, a good and classy guy, but this just, ah, just a missed one. He missed it on this one. Mm. Yeah, I know you were big mad online telling the U.S. soccer official account Deleted. to delete their tweet. Uh, how about that? So three games left for the United States in World Cup qualifying. March 24th away to Mexico, home to Panama after that. And then the qualifying cycle ends March 30th away in Costa Rica. There you see the qualifying scenarios for Greg Berhalter's team. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. In Mexico against Panama Thursday at Azteca, and as Mao predicted, Mexico gets a penalty in their favor. Diego Lainez drawing the foul late in the second half, about 10 minutes after he'd entered the match. And as Mauricio predicted, Raul Jimenez converts the penalty, the only goal in the game, as Mexico beats Panama on a crucial World Cup qualifier, 1-0 in the Mexican capital. So, Herc, we know the chance of no era penal. They've been around Mexican soccer for quite some time. Do los canaleros here have their own shouts for no era penal, or was the decision the right one. Let me also tell you what Mauricio Pedrosa, my uh, co-host on Aurunca, You're also now rich. Uh, did he place all those bets? He, he should have. He also mentioned it would be polemic. And I said, why are you saying it would be polemic? Uh-huh. He mentioned, you think CONCACAF wants to see Mexico not to go to the World Cup. Do you know how much money would be lost? Now, I'm not saying, because I don't believe in that stuff, that any of that is valid. Okay? Uh-oh. You're just bringing it up on the show? Well, no, that's just what he said on the show. Okay? But that was a polemic penalty. Hold on, Seb, Seb. I've never seen a play for Mexico divide the fan base so much. You have World Cup referees, veteran referees on the Mexico side saying, no era penal. You have other World Cup referees saying, si era penal. I'm fine with it either way. Here's where I have an issue with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was too much to it, okay? I thought Diego Linus embellished a lot. I have an issue with it not going to VAR, with them not giving the referee the resource of having another look at it. Because I do think it divided opinion so much. So Hmm. much right now that the vitriol online is, if you don't think it was a penalty, you're anti-Mexico going to the World Cup. But if you do think it's a penalty, like you're just another cheerleader. It's so much divide right now that I honestly think it should have gone to VAR, and I can't believe they didn't offer that resource to the referee. Okay, let's go down that road. This referee goes over and sees the video replays that you and I saw after he's made the call to give it a penalty. Is there any way he overturns it? I saw the replays. I still don't think it's a definitive penalty. No, yeah. But once you give it, it's a stone cold penalty. You cannot overturn that. They're not overturned that. Seb, it's a you give the referee tackle. a reason. It's in the box. You give the referee the a reason to doubt. He hits him almost to the knee. You, it's <laughs> obvious. It's obvious. Diego Linus went penalty. down really hard. But what is he Linus supposed to do? What do you want him to do? He's he got embellishing that a lot. Do you want and the fact to... that he embellishes it, I think, can overturn the referee's train nah, of thought there. Come but on, regardless, come on. regardless, regardless, they called the penalty, the house specialty by Raul, and the only way I thought Raul would score, he did. There you go. So Raul Jimenez gets the uh, game winner as Mexico picks up three huge points. Let's hear from Tata Martino. This is what he had to say post game. Si hay algo que hoy no quedó duda es de la fortaleza del grupo y la forma en que este, intentaron durante los 90 minutos este, ganar el partido. Eh, lo que pasa es que nosotros lo que hemos perdido este, pensando en los primeros dos años de fútbol y eso es lo que tenemos que tratar de, de recuperar y es posible sí que una este, que sacándonos de encima la clasificación este, podamos este, recuperar esa tranquilidad Okay, Herc, time for a quick edition of Get Lost. Are you telling Tata Martino to get lost? Or are you buying what the Argentine manager is selling? No, I'm buying. I'm buying. It, it's good to see a manager who's got self-criticism, who could take that criticism from the press as well, who acknowledges, you know what, we could be better. We have been better. And I think my team is Are you projecting playing. here? Why don't you just say Greg Berhalter? No, I'm not projecting. <laughs> I'm saying manager overall. You're saying Greg Berhalter. But it, it's good to see that. And I think it's important that he acknowledges how pressured the group is. And he feels once this is over, that weight will be lifted. That is very important to acknowledge because look at the, ro- look at the road form when they're not at home, when they're not at the Azteca, to when they are in the Azteca. It's two. It's scary. three wins, two draws, and two of those wins have come with goals 80th plus minute. So mm. I think it's good to acknowledge what's going on, and maybe he's right. Stepping away after this process, they could be better because they'll be very far away from the Mexican national team fan base.
I guess, I guess he's less afraid of telling the truth than Greg Berhalter. I don't know if, if we need to give him an applause for that. Maybe we don't tell him uh, quite to get lost uh, just for that. The one thing I would say here, Herc, is I'm tired. I'm tired of the sad Tata Martino post-match press conferences because <laughs> what it means is it's another bad performance. And in this window, it's not just a bad performance. It's performances that are progressively getting worse. Jamaica was the best performance. Next against Costa Rica was worse. And against Panama, it was by far the worst yeah. of the three. And this comes after that you know, so-called seminal moment, big meeting after the loss in Canada where Tata Martino puts it all out there and the team says stay. Where's that response? That response wasn't there in this window, and it certainly wasn't there in this game against Panama. Let's do a rendition of good, bad, and ugly. I'm told somewhere, somewhere, Herc, you found a good in this game. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Tata Martino's in-game adjustments. So go ahead, give this, give him some credit. You're in love. A lot of in-game adjustments. Uh, Diego Linus was one of them. Juliano Araujo was another. Tecatillo Corona. Let me start off with Diego Linus. Listen, Diego Linus is a pest in the most wonderful way. He's a nuisance for defenders. He is so shifty on the ball. He always has a defender on the back foot. He always wants to be dangerous. And he creates things usually off the bench for Tata Martino. It makes you wonder why he wasn't used more this window. Tecatito Corona, I honestly feel he's been somebody else. Since his move to Sevilla, he's getting better and better. And honestly, he's been very good for the Mexican national team off the bench. Julian Araujo. Julian Araujo, people don't realize how good he is defensively, how much pride he takes in his defensive ability 1v1. And on the offensive end of things, he was very clean, very direct, very good. I thought the in-game adjustment for Tata changed the game, because you're right, mm. you're right. Up until that 70-something minute before the in-game adjustments, Panama was not only taking it to Mexico, I thought they were the better team. Showed a lot of balance on the counter in transition. They were very good, uh, very dangerous, very brave in the way they tried to play Mexico. I honestly feel like teams now at the Azteca don't fear Mexico like they used to. You see Panama, you see Costa Rica trying to play out of things, play out of that pressure. I thought Panama was very, very good and unfortunate, unlucky, excuse me, not to get a goal. Yeah, I think it's, I'm with you. Panama, the more dangerous team. Costa Rica were the more dangerous team, but both those games at the Azteca. The one criticism I would have is why did he wait so long? Um, you know, the subs come 66, 68th minute. There, were, there was probably a moment in the 30th minute where I thought you could have made a sub of some, one of those guys in the midfield to do something different. Certainly, Herc, at halftime. He waited to almost the 70th minute. You and want then, to make yeah, a once, sub in the 30th minute? Yeah, sure. That was, a, that was, a, that was that type of performance. You got three windows. That was, so that was that type of performance. If you that use was the so half bad, time, it's a fourth you gotta window. Make, you got to make a halftime adjustment. Mm, That's okay. what I want to see. Something. Something. Terrible Not wait until the 70th minute. Because, look, you're right. What happened? Ten minutes after he brings those guys on, you get the penalty. That could have happened in the 55th minute if you make that sub at halftime instead of waiting well, 70 I, minutes to see the guys that he left on struggle. Yeah, you're right. And I'd argue immediately after he made those subs, there was action. There was more precise movement in the final third. There was actual concrete evidence that you had a pulse. Okay, so we scrapped together a good. I don't think it's gonna be tough to pick a bad. We're gonna go with the midfield, which on this occasion was Hector Herrera, Andres Guardado, and Charlie Rodriguez, Luis Romo coming in late off the bench. Herc, oh man, bad is a nice word to put, to put their performance, I thought. Yeah, they struggled. And to me, there's no it's no surprise they struggled. You look Why? at all Because Edson players. wasn't there? Is that, is that just what it is? It's, yeah, that's a huge reason. Edson is so important to this team. His ability to protect that back line, to cover for Hector Herrera and Guardado. Charlie, oftentimes, was a guy pressuring and would leave Hector Herrera and Guardado on an island behind him, knowing those two guys don't have the physicality, nor the condition, nor the legs to keep up with transition. They struggled big time, but Edson Alvarez not being there is a huge reason why. And it's crazy to me because, you know, I'm a huge fan of Hector Herrera, but I do feel you can't put him in these positions because he's going to struggle. Well, Tata Martino went as far as saying like, hey, the criticism for Hector Herrera that he receives from the fan base and pundits is without merit. He's been the best player for Mexico. And that to me is baffling. Mm. So after the last match, Herc, I was really critical of Hector Herrera. Remember, I didn't even want him to start this game in my kind of fantasy 11. Uh, for this match, though, I think the harsh criticism really has to go to Andres Guardado. And I know that, that he is not the player he was a few years ago, but this was an awful, 
awful performance and beyond the missed passes, which you really don't expect from Guardado, what he's become now, I fear, is a back pass merchant. Ooh. He literally only passes the ball back, only passes it sideways, even when there's a break. He's the one slowing the Mexican momentum. So I was incredibly disappointed. And another thought on this midfield, Herc. Think about a guy like Luca De La Torre, right? Starting for the 14th place team in the top flight in Holland, can start for the United States men's national team, right? But Eric Gutierrez, who starts for the second best team in Holland, 12 places above Heracles, can't get a start for Mexico? Why not? Why isn't Eric Gutierrez, when you need answers in that midfield, being used? That, to me, is a huge omission from Tata Martino, given what the player is doing at club level. That's the bad. Here's the ugly. And Herc, unfortunately, involves Chucky Lozano again and involves another injury with the national team. This time, a dislocated right shoulder. He was oh. taken to the hospital, and it looks like he's going to be out at least a few weeks. What's going on, Herc, with Chucky, the national team, and all of these injuries? Well, let me just start off by saying this is Chucky Lozano. This is nothing new, excuse me, because Chucky Lozano is that type of player. He risks his body for the team every single time. He, like I said, Diego Linus is a pest. Well, he's a physical pest. And this has happened since the Pachuca days. He would get into some physical altercations. I remember one time with my, uh, Michael Orozco, the US international, there was a stomp on the foot that literally opened him up on top of that uh, shooting foot. So this happens a lot with Chucky Lozano because he's that type of player. Chucky mm -hmm. Lozano will be physical. He will be combative. But lately is what worries me. It seems like every time he plays with Mexico, Every window, there's something going on with Chucky Lozano. And there's one player, honestly, you can't afford to lose. It's probably Chucky Lozano. You say a couple weeks, but if I'm Napoli, I'm thinking, like, why do I keep allowing this player to leave? Like, what, like if there's any time to leave him, to leave my investment, the second highest transfer fee in the club's mm. history, like, maybe I protect him a little. Maybe I say, don't go anymore. You're going to make the World Cup. I've got no doubt about that. Just stay, because every time you go, you get injured. Similar positions, and we compare these players a lot, but it's starting to make me think of Christian Pulisic. You know, a guy whose club form and club situation is clearly uncomfortable and is starting to maybe bleed into his international play. And then on top of that, you add these injuries. And man, the other comparison that's, that's the same is, I feel the same about Pulisic as you just described Lozano. They're players who are always getting fouled and are always targeted, uh, whether with their national teams or when they're with their club, but especially when they play at the international level. It's gonna be really, really tough to keep Chucky Lozano healthy moving forward. It's just every single time, Herc, like yeah. you say. And they're not just like ankle sprains anymore. They're serious injuries. We saw the, the horrific injury in the Gold Cup, yeah, and then you see this dislocated yeah. shoulder. I mean, he looked to be in some real serious pain. Uh, thank goodness it doesn't seem like to be an injury that'll keep him out too much longer. So then three games left for Mexico as well in this qualifying cycle. Herc, here are the qualifying scenarios for El Three coming up. Of course, they've got home against the United States, away against Honduras, who are already eliminated before finishing up at home against El Salvador. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Elsewhere in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, her Costa Rica beats Jamaica 1-0 in Kingston. Look out, Herc. Here come Los Ticos. Better late than never. Ah, uh, Los Ticos! I, when we first started this projection, I had those Ticos coming up. They were going to get qualified, and then, whoa. But their second half of World Cup qualifying this campaign has been nothing short of amazing. The goal comes from Joel Campbell, who's been balling, absolutely yeah. balling for Costa Rica. Now, uh, after the game, Jamaican Federation officials claimed that two Costa Rican players, Herc, played despite testing positive for COVID-19 upon arrival in Jamaica on Tuesday. Jamaica is reportedly going to file a complaint with FIFA. The Costa Rican Federation has issued their response, claiming both FIFA and CONCACAF authorized the participation of said players in the game. We will keep you up to date on all the latest 
as it unfolds. The final match from Wednesday night, El Salvador and Canada. El Salvador before this one hurt, threatening not to play over a dispute with the Federation. Canada ends up winning 2-0. The highlight in this one, this goal from Atiba Hutchison. Whoa, what happened? Oh, it's a good ball by Laren. Good finish here. But look, it goes off Eric Savaleta. Off the post, off Savaleta, off Atiba Hutchison. Why don't I ever get any of this? Why didn't I? I've never gotten one of those in my career. Mm. Wow. Give me that. I don't uh -oh. think I've ever seen anything like that. Me, yeah, you're me. right to say, uh-oh. Jonathan me, me. David on a breakaway. You know how this is ending. Oh, One with a chip. Goodness. And two with the ball in the back of the net. For the record, I've been on that JD train for quite some time. Okay, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. So uh, Hutchson and Jonathan David, your goal scores. John Herdman's team still unbeaten. Their last three away to Costa Rica, home against Jamaica and away to Panama. Our next guest here on Football America is none other than Richie Larey of the Canadian men's national team and Nottingham Forest to the championship in England. Richie, great to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward to, to speaking to you guys. All right, well, let's start with something that I'm sure many of our viewers are not looking forward to, but we got to go back to that <laughs> uh, big victory over the United States. Just how did you guys pull it off? Yeah, I think um, it, was, it was a good game. They're a very talented side. They're a good, um, they're a good team, and we knew it was going to be um, a fight, and it was going to be um, a really, really hard game because they're obviously a very good team. So um, I think we executed a pretty good game plan in a sense where we were able to you know, match a lot of things that they did football-wise, but then we, I think, ramped it up intensity-wise throughout the entire game. Uh, Richie, uh, I got to ask you, John Herdman's a very interesting character to me. He was the Canadian women's national team coach and then goes and coaches the men's team. What is it like as a player to play for John Herdman? He seems like a, a player's coach type of guy. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely is a player's, player's coach. Um, he's come in here and he's changed the culture and the outlook of um, Canadian soccer because I'm sure, like you guys know, a couple of years back, you guys probably weren't having these type of discussions about Canada soccer. So I think he's come in with a clear vision, with a um, with a good staff and support staff, and then also bringing in the right players. And he's really, I think, created this culture amongst all of us. And you know, we call it a brotherhood, and I think it's spot on because I think for everyone watching at home, they see whenever we got on the field, it's you know, if one guy's down, everyone's picking up that guy. If one guy's in the mix, in a fight, whatever it is, a little scuffle, everyone, everyone has that person's back. So, you know, it's kind of, um, we say it a lot here. It's a, it's a we mentality versus a me mentality here. So um, I think that's what we kind of uh, live and die by on this team. And he's created a very, very tight knit um, culture and brotherhood within all of us, to be honest. Okay, Richie. So I'm hearing words like culture. I know there's a lot of talent on this Canadian team. I got to bring up another word, temperature. Uh, every time we see you guys having these kind of massive results, it seems to be just in the frigid, <laughs> frigid cold. How much of an advantage is that for you? And, and as a player, do you, do you actually like it? Yeah, I mean, um, the one in Edmonton was rough, man. That was, uh, that, that was pretty cold. And I know a lot of us were in short sleeve, but after the game, <laughs> we were dying, man. But, um, you know, growing up here, a lot of us are used to it. We um, have to play outdoor, actually, sometimes in January and February, so... For me, it was something I was a little bit used to, obviously, but um, not necessarily love love playing in negative 20 degrees Celsius weather. But um, as much as I didn't like it, the the guys on the Mexico national team hated it even more. So <laughs> that worked uh, that that worked to our benefit. But I mean, I think it's it's smart. You know, you go to Mexico, you play at Azteca, and you play in uh, altitude, so they have that to, to going for them. So you know, maybe this is something we can do moving forward. Where you know, advantage, whatever you want to say. It's something we're, we're used to versus, for example, the Mexicans are used to playing at Azteca and altitude. So I think they have that. We now have this. So it's, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe something we can we can continue to use moving forward. That's an interesting question that Sebi just brought up, an interesting comments you have about using it to your advantage. You look around CONCACAF, Azteca, Cuscatlán, and El Salvador, Honduras, San Pedro Sula. Uh, what's the most difficult venue in your eyes in CONCACAF? Um, well, we've gone to Honduras recently, and we've also gone to Azteca, so, uh, and we've also been in Jamaica as well. So 
you know, all of those were different and difficult in their own, um, in their own ways. You know, Aztec obviously with the altitude is, um, really difficult and, um, they're used to it. And a lot of, I mean, none of us were used to it. So it's, so it's difficult. Honduras was also, you know, difficult as well. I know they weren't full capacity, but you could feel the energy that the stadium has. And Jamaica was a completely closed door game, but as Jamaica, you know, the pitch is what it is and the weather, it was extremely hot on the day. So, you know, it's, it's tough. So probably I would say, um, Azteca for me, even though it wasn't full capacity, but between the altitude and then the magnitude of the game, it's, um, you know, something that professional soccer players die for. And those are the type of games you want to play. And so I would say in terms of the magnitude and, um, altitude and the type of game we wanted to play and how big of a statement we want to make, that was, um, the number one for me. Richie, you guys entered this window first in CONCACAF. You're going to leave this window first in CONCACAF. And I think what makes it so impressive is that you've done it in this window without Alfonso Davies. How have you been able to manage to kind of maintain that level without, I think, what's very easily your best player and probably the best player in the region, without a doubt? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, when you're missing a player like that, and he, he is the best player in CONCACAF, it's a, a huge loss for you but again um i just bring it back to the culture that we've created here with um canada soccer and it's um it's it's a group that fights for each other and we, re we really believe now so it's um obviously we miss alfonso where we hope he's all good and he'll be joining us in march but um it's also we all took it as an opportunity to again make another statement across Concacaf is like yeah our best player is not here but we can still go and win games and we're going to go and win games, you know? So I think this is what the best teams in the world do. They don't have their, their talisman, the, the main man on their team, and they still go to these places, play against top opponents, uh, tough conditions and win games. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And also our, our, the pool on our team is deep. We have a very deep roster. One man is down or a couple of men are down. Um, obviously we'll miss them, but, we have a strong enough pull to compete with anyone with, with, with even a guy like Alfonso as good as he is missing. Richie, let's talk the big move. Uh, you just completed a transfer to Nottingham Forest. It's in the championship division uh, in England reports out of Toronto where Toronto FC was ready to make you the highest paid fullback in major league soccer. It's a world cup year. You could have easily stayed in Canada uh, in Toronto and still been a starter for Canadian men's national team in a world cup why take the chance or the risk in your eyes and go to the championship yeah for me um england is the mecca of, of of soccer in the world so you know that opportunity came about and i've always said it to myself said it to my loved ones my family that um if the opportunity ever came for me to go to europe i want to go because it's been a dream of mine uh since i've been a little boy and growing up i've always wanted to explore europe and see what it's like there obviously watching watching a bunch of games as a kid with my brother and my dad that's the one thing i wanted to do and i knew doing well in the mls and then doing well with the national team might i might be able to help myself get over there and it might present some opportunities for me so when it when it did it was um a, a perfect moment i think for me to go especially with a world cup with it being a world cup year and our national team doing as well as it's doing i felt like it was the perfect scenario and situation for me so um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone as well and do something new where I'd have to dig deep and find out more about myself and, you know, some good things obviously will come and some bad things will come, but it's all part of the ride. And I think it's, um, perfect for me right now in my, in my career to go and experience this. Richie Larea then flying at the international level, flying at the club level as well. Richie, thanks for being with us here on Football Americas. Continued good luck with Canada. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Richie Larea, a huge part of the Canadian team that right now sits first in the CONCACAF qualifying table. Right now, Canada, United States, and Mexico heading directly to the World Cup. Panama in that fourth spot for the intercontinental playoff against the winner from Oceania, likely to be New Zealand, but don't count out Costa Rica right there in fifth, knocking on the door to the top four. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, 
poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. U.S. Women's National Team has announced its She Believes Cup roster, and there are some big names left out. No Megan Rapino, no Alex Morgan, no Tobin Heath, no Kristen Press, no Julie Ertz either. Trinity Rodman was called in, but as a training player, she's not on the final roster, which includes 23 names. With more on who's here and who's not, let's listen to the manager, Vladko Andonofsky. I feel like uh, if in uh, any of these camps, like for she believes, for example, we call any of the any of the senior players, then uh, we're not going to be able to see the, the younger ones uh, in a uh, or dial uh, dial in as deep as we want uh, with the with the younger ones. Now, once again, no, no, it doesn't mean that all these players that that have done well in the past. They're just going to come back here in the next camp because they've done well a year ago or two years ago. Uh, so, but, I mean, there is a reason why Mia Ham is not in camp. Still, uh, we're not calling Mia Ham or Julie Fuddy in camp, right? So, uh, the same th- the same goes here. They need to they need to perform. They need to play in their markets. They need to play well in their markets and show that they they can still contribute and uh, be valuable for uh, for the national team. First of all, I think Julie Foudy probably could handle a call-up right now. <laughs> I don't think she wants to, though. So, Herc, help me with some translation here, because I hear that, and I hear the shots fired at the veterans. You hearing the same thing? Yeah, kind of. I'm hearing your name will no longer guarantee you a call-up, mm. and that's how it should be. It shouldn't be who's got the biggest name, who's done more in the past, who's got the best resume. It's what are you doing at the club level right now? What are you doing today that can help the national team? And I'm all for this because, honestly, Seb, oftentimes that would stop in the case. Hmm. I like the fact that he used the word earn because he says the veterans have to earn their way back in. But he also says the young players have earned this spot, have earned this moment. So it's interesting. It kind of counts against one group. Uh, it counts for the other. I think this is a lesson pulled straight out of the Olympics, Her, mm. I think if you look at what happened from this team from 2019 to 2021, they didn't handle that generational shift well it cost him at the olympics and i think we're going to see a course correction you're going to see a lot of very young players called in this team it's what vladko andonofsky wants to do the one thing is you gotta have some veterans right there's going to be a, there's going to be a use for somebody like a julia it's a Kristen press some of these big names do need to be kept around but you have We've, to earn it seb you gotta earn it you gotta earn it i, li- I like that that's where your head's at uh, other uh, oh yeah and by the way the she believes cup of course is on espn starting february 17th first match will be against czech republic out there uh, just outside los angeles usa czech republic 11 p.m eastern time on espn on thursday february 17th the first of three in the she believes cup big news out of the national women's soccer league hurt the nwsl and the nwsl PA have agreed to their first ever collective bargaining agreement. They did so late Monday night. The new deal includes free agency, higher salaries, as well as other health and wellness benefits. The deal also runs through 2026. Uh, Herc, a lot of times when it comes to CBAs and stuff like that, we kind of ignore it. Uh, But is this something, nothing, or everything? It's everything. It's a CBA, so it's their future, so it has to be everything. Uh, But this... This to me is, is crazy because when you first brought this to my attention, mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a second. They got free agency in their first CBA? The mm-hmm. NWSL women got free agency in their first CBA. Bravo. Because it <laughs> took the men in Major League Soccer decades to get free agency. I mean, the ability as a player to have a say in your future. If you want to go elsewhere for more money, you go. If you want to go elsewhere because you can win, you go. If you want to go elsewhere and accept less money, but it's a better possibility of you playing, you go. The ability to have a say in your future as a player is so important. And these women got in their first CBA, bravo.
Yeah, some of the details on that free agency. It's going to start in 2023 for players with six or more years of service. The next year, that number drops to five or more years of service. And if you played for three years, you're a restricted free agent. So that's huge, right? That's going to give a lot of mobility. It's going to make the league very interesting as those pieces move back and forth. Another key thing here, remember that no more side hustles campaign? The minimum salary has gone from 22000 to 35000 Now, I'm not saying $35,000 is a lot of money or you're going to be rich, but that moves that bottom up, right? So hopefully that takes some of these excellent, excellent top-tier athletes and takes, takes that side hustle need away. The other thing to your point, wow, look at this. They, they got free agency in their first CBA compared yeah. to MLS. You know what these women did? They had a lot of leverage. For everything that happened last year, the NWSLPA had a ton of leverage, and they made the most of it, and they got their free agency. I think it's a huge win, uh, not just for players in the NWSL, but for women's players across the world, because this is going to set a pretty high bar. Some more news out of the NWSL. Everybody hurt. Everybody is getting paid. Trinity Rodman has a new deal, the richest contract in league history for the 19-year-old reigning rookie of the year. It's a four-year contract worth a reported $1.1 million. Again, Trinity Rodman, now the biggest contract in the National Women's Soccer League. 19 years old, Seb. This isn't the most paid yearly. It's the richest over four years, and it's honestly good to see. Hopefully it sets a trend. Great news for Trinity Rodman, the Washington spirit, and all of the National Women's Soccer League. All right. Let's transition here, Herc, because we got the FIFA Club World Cup coming up. Actually, it's already underway in the United Arab Emirates. Rayados, they're going to be playing Al-Ali of Egypt, the African champions, on Saturday. And for a full preview, why don't we send it over now to Mauricio Pedrosa, who had a chance to sit down and discuss things one-on-one with Vincent Janssen of Rayados ahead of their trip to the FIFA Club World Cup. Rayados de Monterrey forward, Vincent Janssen. Vincent, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, everything is good. How are you? I'm well. I'm, 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 I'm very thrilled to talk to you. First question I want to ask you is this. What's your favorite word in Spanish? What's your favorite word in Spanish for Vincent Jensen? Carne asada. <laughs> All right, that, that's, a, that's a very solid start. So you guys are going to travel. I'm playing the World World Cup, Club's World Cup. And it's been always this strange assignment for Mexican soccer. Because, yes, Mexico dominates the region, CONCACAF, but we're still trying to find that team that can actually take the next step. You guys had a great performance against Liverpool a couple of years ago. How's, how's this Rayados team different from the one that left actually a very good impression against Liverpool a couple of years ago? There's, the difference is, I think we added more quality to the team. Uh, we have, I think even if you look at the bench right now, we have maybe like, I don't know, I think it's 11, 12 internationals. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of people on the bench of not starting who have like the quality to play in the first 11. So there's a lot of competitive. Uh, yeah, the team is very competitive, and, and every day in training you have to you have to push for your own position to push each other to the next level. And I think there's where the difference is, and everyone is 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 ready to go. We know what we did two years ago, but we felt that that last one two percent uh, it's here now, and and yeah, we're very happy and super excited about what's coming. How big of a goal is for Rayados de Monterrey delivering a good performance at the club's World Cup? It's super important. I think it's super important for us. We take the tournament so serious. And we have been like, from the from the Congo Cup started, I think, I don't know how long, it was a year ago. Um, we said, listen, we wanted to go to, I think at that point it was Japan, or I don't know. And we had that goal always in mind before the Congo Cup started. We knew that we had to, get to the first stage, to the second stage, and then to the final of the CONCACAF. But every time in our minds, we were like busy with, with the Club World Cup. And yes, we reached the final, we won the final, and now we are there. This is our reward. This is our um, this is our tournament we worked hard for. So yeah, 
we have to we have to compete as good as possible and obviously try to win because that's what we're, what we're going for. After having that experience of uh, playing against Liverpool, which by the way, at the time Liverpool was considered the best club in the world, right? They just won the Champions League. They had won the Premier League after 30 years. They had some of the of the best players in the world as well as a part of the roster. How how much do you think that experience will have? And I know some players in your team are not there any longer, and you have some new teammates as well. But the core the core stays the same. How do you think that experience will carry when you go and travel and play again at this competition? Yeah, that's super important because you need to play those games to get that experience, to know what you're going to go through in games like that. And that's why we think after the game, we're like a bit frustrated with, with ourselves because there was more for us in that game and we didn't do it. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't like go through the next, the next uh, game. And, and that's why it was difficult for us. Uh, I mean, obviously we're happy with our performance because we, we gave Liverpool a very good game. But yeah. in the end, you play to win. And I feel the experience we got from that game, you take that with you and yeah, and you take that for the next game. Now we have a few very, very big games coming up for us and we take that game per game. But we know that experience we had from last time, uh, how are we going to prepare for this game? Javier Aguirre has been quite the character all along his career as a player and also as a manager. Seguramente le dije, muy bien, hijo de puta, bien, Oscarito, cabrón, qué tirazo, la puta madre, seguramente le dije eso. Tengo los pies congelados, puta madre. Pónganse bolsas, así, mira. What's the one thing that uh, strikes you the most, impresses you the most about Javier Aguirre? I think he's super honest the way how he is as a person. That's, that's a thing what... What for us in the team works works so good. Like he is, he judges everyone exactly the same. Uh, if you are just new, if you are already here for 10 years, whatever. Like he is honest to you. He tells you like what he expects from you, and and that works in our in our team. Um, the combination like with the with the with the stuff, it's it's very very good. Everyone is like super happy. I think from both sides. So. Um, yeah, I think that the way how he handles, how he works with the players uh, on like on the pitch, but also on a personal level is, I think, very, very uh, impressive. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the league, because after you guys won the title, the league title, the sense is that you do have a great team, but somehow it seems that you guys have underperformed in the past couple of seasons. Many uh, attribute to that to the lack of being clinical in the box, not not scoring the amount of goals of goals that Rayados de Monterrey should score. Is it a fair assessment? And how are you guys working to actually keep making progress in the league? I mean, I think if you look back at the last couple of years, uh, in the last last two and a half years, we won a league, we won a Copa, we won a Concacaf. They won a Concacaf. Uh, three years ago, I think. So we won a lot of titles and um, yeah, maybe we lost the last two La Ligueas in the quarterfinals. Yes, but in football, you cannot win every game. Uh, we know that we want, we want to, obviously we want to win every game we play. But I think if you look at the titles, the last couple of years, we've been quite successful. Um, yeah, just the last two, three uh, La, La, La Ligueas, we haven't been uh, what we wanted to have. But yeah, it's, it's obviously something for us where we want to improve on. I wonder what your assessment of the level of the Mexican League is now that you've been here for over two years. What do you make of the level of competition in La Liga MX? I think the level is very good. Uh, to be honest, there's a lot of players with a lot of quality, a lot of internationals in, 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 uh, in all the countries, actually. So the quality is, is very good. Um, if I talk specifically about Rayados, like the level of trainings are on a very, very high level. And even in the games, like there are teams, they play sometimes very defensive and they have a very, very good defensive line and know how to defend. And the defenders are, are strong guys, like big guys, they know how to play. And the quality is very good. Like people will be surprised about how good the quality is. And I think it's keep getting better and better. 
My final question to you, it will be in Spanish, and I know you will understand it, but every time we talk to someone from where you come from, the question has to be asked. Fue penal or no fue penal? Robert inside goes down the box penalty. Bruins the whistles from the penalty. Claro penal. <laughs> sí, fue penal. No, Vincent Johnson, no fue penal. Por supuesto que no. <laughs> hey, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Good luck to you guys in the Clouds World Cup. Um, it's been a pleasure to, to, to have you on the show, to have you in the Mexican League. You obviously elevate the level. And uh, muchas gracias, Vincent Johnson. Enjoy your carne asada later today. I will. Thank you very much. Ah, the interview was going <laughs> so well there until the uh, the very end. So Rayados, as we said, uh, in action Saturday against Alali, the champions of Africa against the CONCACAF champions winner. That gets Palmeiras in the semifinal. So Herc, what constitutes a successful Club World Cup for Rayados? Oh, look at that, Chelsea. Okay, that means another American at the Club World Cup. I like that. Uh, what constitutes a successful tournament for Rayados? That is minimum equaling what Tigres did, which is mm. second place. Tigres lost to Bayern Munich last year in the Club World Cup. They made it to the final. That is the benchmark for Rayados. Do you want to know why? Because everything Rayados does is looking to compete with Tigres. Whether that's signings, winning trophies, overall play, exposure, etc. Mm. They did well against Liverpool. What does Tigres do? They make it to the final. That is the benchmark for Rayados and their fan base. So, Tigres... Rayados. It's always a competition at the end of the day. The FIFA Club World Cup, just the latest place where it should play out. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of Football America. Sir, why don't you show me what you're wearing there? Uh, Tifosi. Uh, this is uh, the Who's goat? that taking a picture with Piojo? This is the goat and some no, fan he it. found in, no, no, no. I guess, There's Boston. only one goat. There's only one goat. There's Tifosi. only one goat. Hey, uh, Douglas Costa to the LA Galaxy. Looks I just like saw it's a done that. Deal. Looks wow. like a done deal. Wow. Big moves, Major League Soccer. Bon we'll G. talk about it next week. FA Cup, Bundesliga, La Liga on ESPN Plus this weekend. Don't miss it. Division? It was.